You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We are back in the book of Exodus. So uh, if you guys have been with us, the book of Exodus, what it is, is it's detailing the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt, and it's their tumultuous journey, really, um, in the Sinai Peninsula, leaning or leading towards the promised land, and they're learning what it means to be a worshipful covenant family with their God, with our God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, last week, if you were here, we tackled quite a bit of text, uh, two and a half chapters, we're going to slow down a bit today and only cover about half a chapter, still a lot. But uh, if you could, let's turn our Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 4, verse 19. Exodus four nineteen through 31 is going to be our text today. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can share with someone or always pick one up in the back. We've got Bibles as you walk in. Um, but before I get into it, just as a small recap, I want to remind us where, where this part of the story leaves off. So last week, we left off with Moses encountering God in the burning bush. Many of us know it from movies or from, you know, Sunday school when we were growing up. But God not only revealed his rescue plan to Moses, but he also revealed his identity. He declared who he was as the great I am, the God of uh, his fathers, the, 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 of the patriarchs. What happened was last week, God also chose and called Moses to be the one to communicate this rescue plan to Pharaoh and uh, for Pharaoh to let my people go. Speaking of the children of Israel, the Israelites. What happened was there was an exchange of questions. There was a lot of hesitancy and reluctancy on Moses' part to do this. Um, But for context's sake and to connect to kind of our portion of our story I want to back up just to Exodus 4, verse 10, and we're going to read through the rest of the chapter. And uh, so we're picking up with Moses' dialogue with God. So read with me, starting in verse 10, and then we'll get to our text. So Exodus 4, 10 says, this is Moses saying to the Lord, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths and makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak, and I will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if, you, if it were your mouth, as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. And now our text today, verse 18 through 31, says, Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go and I wish you well. 
Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt, and all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At the time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the signs that he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this spot in your word that you have us in this morning. And God, we pray that not only would you show us your character today, you would reveal to to us your character but you would also show us how that applies to us, how we're part of this story also, your redemptive story in the world. And so God, would you anoint our time? Would you speak to us, Holy Spirit? Soften our hearts to receive your word this morning. God, let our hearts not be hardened or unreceptive. We want soft hearts to receive what the God of the universe has to say to us today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you guys probably agree, it's a pretty common basic desire to be liked by everyone, right? To fit in, to be accepted, to be loved by all. And for most of us, um, we want to be seen as like not drama, right? Not rocking the boat, being at peace with everyone, and never making ripples. A lot of us might, might agree with this. And because, for many of us, this is really important, we'll go to great lengths to ensure this perception of our, of our values. Like, we'll go at any length to just not be the person that's like drama or has a problem or an issue. And if this is you, you are the pe- people pleasers of this group. I'm sure there's, there's, there's many of you in here, just like me. Most of us, I would say deep down, though, all want this, right? We don't want people to think something about us. We don't want to be drama. We don't want to be at odds with people. We want to be, we want to fit in. We want to be accepted. And to be a people pleaser, honestly, isn't a great quality. Peace, yes, but a good reputation at all costs is not. It's okay. We're works in progress. We're going to actually get to that in the text today. But this is me in a lot of ways. I've grown, I'm still growing, there's still times when I struggle with this, but in our text today, this is partly what is happening with Moses right now. See, life is good for Moses. He's escaped from Egypt, 
He's kind of in hiding, but life is good. He's a shepherd. He's gotten married. He's not in fear of his life anymore. But then God meets him, shows him in heart, shows him his heart, excuse me, and calls him into this pretty radical upfront mission that's going to rock the boat quite a bit. I mean, that is not going to please a lot of people. We're going to see that in the coming chapters. And Moses, kind of understandingly, is very reluctant. Like multiple times says, no, God, it's not for me. I'm not the person. I'm not going to do it. From the start and on the way, even God throws him a bone. How about your buddy Aaron? Oh, your brother Aaron, can he come? Does that work? Does that, does that work for you? He gives him a buddy to do it. But despite his weaknesses, despite his doubts, Moses, as we will see, as we see today, chooses to trust in God's goodness, in God's credentials, in God's past track record. And he decides to walk in these plans. There was debate. There was reluctantly but at the end of the day, Moses chose to trust God and all that God is asking to him. And, and he chooses to do so. And to be honest, this is all that God is asking of us. Will we follow him? Like, will we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him? At the core of discipleship, at the core of Christianity, is that we're disciples of our God. And Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, this is what it comes down to. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following me. And when it comes to obedience to God, our, Moses is, is one example. But the greatest example we have is Jesus. right? Jesus is our ultimate example when it comes to obedience. If you remember... On the eve of the crucifixion, Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a small olive garden overlooking Jerusalem, and he goes to pray to God the Father, and he says, if there's any way that this cup would pass for me, speaking of the impending crucifixion on the cross, if there's any way this would, would not come to me, let it be, but not my will, but your will be done. Over and over, three times, Jesus is pleading with the Father. It's actually just the, this, the battle of the wills is happening. And he says, if there's any way for this cup to pass, but not my will, but your will be done. And we all know the story. Jesus' obedient, obedience to the Father ultimately led him to the cross, ultimately bringing salvation to all of humanity. But if there's ever an example of obedience, we can look to our Savior. The thing about Moses, though, is that when God called him, he didn't really know what he was getting into at all. Like, he wasn't, trust me, he didn't know about the plagues. He didn't know about the Red Sea coming up, the wandering in the wilderness. Didn't know any of it. And I'll be honest, I think God didn't tell Moses everything for a reason. Right? If, if God let Moses into the whole plan and all the details, I guarantee you Moses would say, nope, disobedience for me. Right, all the plagues, all the Red Sea, all the wilderness, all that we're going to get into. I mean, can you imagine if God had laid out the whole plan for Moses? He already was a hard man to move. He didn't even know what he was getting into yet, and he's already like, it's not for me. I'm not the one. I got a good life here. I don't want to rock the boat. I'm happy. I'm married. I'm not in fear of my life. This is not what I want to do. But next time, we're praying. 
Because all of us do this. We ask God for stuff. We pray for decisions, whether it's a job or a move or a, something, something in our life. Next time we're asking, praying God for some, some wisdom for something, just know that most likely he's going to give you a breadcrumb to follow and not the whole picture. It's not what he does with Moses. It's not what he does really ever. God says, here you go. Here's a door. It's open. Walk through it. Here's a breadcrumb. Follow that one. I'll give you another one when you get there. If you've, if you've been a disciple of Jesus for any amount of time, you can relate to this. God almost, if not ever, says, okay, yes, here's your five-year plan. Here's your 10-year plan. Here's your whole life laid out. God doesn't do that. And to be honest, if he did that, we wouldn't need to trust in him. We'd have the whole plan. We'd just do whatever we wanted to do. We wouldn't need to pray. We're good. But instead, what God mainly does is give us a, a, a glimpse, a small view into his plans. But that's okay. Even though we want the whole plan, we want the whole picture, we want all of our questions answered, the reason why it's okay is it takes more trust and faith. We need to remember that, that when we are obeying Jesus... His word, right, when we read his word, which is his will, or the leading of the Holy Spirit, we have to trust in God's abilities, not our own. Like for Moses, he couldn't do that. He couldn't trust in his own abilities. He didn't have some. He had weaknesses. And we're not supposed to look to ourselves to obey God. But rather, when we obey God, we actually are to rely and trust in his abilities, his character, and his past faithfulness to lead us into the present and into the future. And this is what Moses does. The reason why Moses can trust in this God that is asking him to do these things is because he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has a track record of faithfulness to his people. And so when we obey God, when we follow those breadcrumbs he gives us, we're following the God that is capable and able. And so what Moses does is he leaves God, right? Moses has this interaction with God. He leaves now. He goes to Midian, his home, his new home, and he gets an A-OK -okay from his father-in-law, Jethro. And that was very customary back then that the, the head of the home, um, in this case, his father-in-law, the patriarch of the family, he had to get the A-OK -okay to make a decision like taking his his daughter away and going back to Egypt. And, but again, this was just a step in obedience. Even as simple as asking the father-in-law for, for permission to go back to Egypt was an act of obedience to God. Yeah, it was mundane and it was simple, but it was an act of obedience. And God and, and, and this was going to used, be used by God in the redemptive story of the children of Israel. And we brushed on it last week, but sometimes it can be hard to figure out what obeying God looks like. And some of us even think that's weird to say. What do you mean God's will? What do you mean my calling? What do you mean following the Lord? But here's what I want to encourage us with. Sometimes we get super tripped up with like a big calling or a big thing or, you know, I'm waiting for the moment. I'm waiting for my burning bush that God's going to call me and he's going to radically transform my life. That may happen. 
But many times it's in the simple, mundane, daily, daily stuff that God calls us to obey. And if I, if I could do one thing today is to encourage us to think of it as a baby step. Like read God's word. Find out what we're desi- how you're designed to function, what give God, gives God glory, excuse me, and start walking in that. So many times callings and God's will can be really paralyzing. It can cause us just to do nothing because we're always waiting. Well, there's a lot that God actually has already called us into in his word. There's a lot that God desires for us and has plans for. And my encouragement today is find out, read his word, find out how you are designed to function, what gives God glory, and start walking. Again, for Moses, he didn't know the whole picture. God just said go, so he's like, okay, I'll go. And so I'm just going to go because God told me to go. And so Moses, what he does is he continues on and he confronts Pharaoh. He obeys God, right? He, He makes the proper ways. And what he does when he's before Pharaoh is he performs all the signs. So if you're here last week, you should kind of go listen to that. But God said, in order for them to believe that I am who I am, I'm going to give you some, some, some miracles, some like really crazy things to do in front of them to prove that you're just not some crazy shepherd from the wilderness trying to free two and a half million Israelites. They're not going to believe you. So he does exactly what he told him at the beginning of the chapter. The, the staff of God turns into a snake. Um, there's the leprous hand. He sticks his hand in his cloak, and he sticks it out, and it's leprous, and then he sticks it back in, and it's fine, and he turns the Nile water to blood. does all this. And what is the response of Pharaoh in our text today? The response of Pharaoh is it says that the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. This is kind of a thing. This is kind of alarming and weird. And we should be asking, wait, what, Lord? God, you're the one that hardened a heart? You do that kind of thing? And what we'll see is this is actually a common theme over like the next seven chapters, This idea of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart comes up a lot. And sometimes his heart is just hardened towards the idea of letting the Israelites go. But a few times, like this case, it says that the Lord actually is doing it. Uh, Bible commentator Philip Ryken commentates on it, and he says this. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart is an important theme in the book of Exodus. It is as much to teach us about the sovereignty of God's will. We will encounter this theme again because Exodus mentions Pharaoh's hardness of heart some 20 times, describing it in one of three different ways. Sometimes the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart uh, hardens his own heart, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. Uh, That's chapter 8, verse 15. Other times, the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened without specifying who did the hardening, right? Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen, 7, 13. But also, there's instances like the one here in Exodus 4 where God identifies himself as the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart. And in some mysterious way, which we'll unpack more as the 20 times come up, is that Pharaoh's hardness of heart was a part of God's saving plan. Because it's ultimately Pharaoh's hardened heart that actually ended up freeing the children of Israel. 
Again, we'll talk more about this in detail to, and when we get into the plagues. But this is what we need to understand. This is the broad idea that it's getting to here. Is that God's truths, who God is, his plan, the cross, the resurrection, forgiveness, the gospel, is not received well by many, even to this day. That, that is just the truth. That the gospel, when you present the loving, caring, gracious God that we all love and serve, that message is not well received by many. Actually, many times it's met with opposition or aggression. We see that in a small way with Pharaoh. Like Pharaoh, the truth of the gospel actually can turn away people from coming to God. It can actually harden hearts towards God instead. And this isn't new. This isn't like just here in, with Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. We see this vividly from the Gospels. Like over and over and over, Jesus, what would he do? He would go throughout and every, everybody would bring the sick, the hurting, the blind, the lame, even the dead. What would he do? He would heal every sickness, every disease. He would raise the, the, the dead to life. He would teach in synagogues. He would perform amazing miracles. And what was the response? It was at best 50-50. At best. Even though this is amazing, good stuff that God is doing in the world. Maybe not even that good 50-50. There were multiple, excuse me, there was multitudes that saw Jesus firsthand. That heard the good news. That saw these incredible miracles performed. Many did come to faith. Many were saved. There was disciples. That's how, that's how we're here, part of that. But many did not. Specifically, the influential religious and political leaders of the time. right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people with power and influence, were actually really enraged. They were ticked. And, and the reason why Jesus ended up on a cross was because... The gospel, the truth of who God was, offended to the point of execution. Philip Ryken also commented that on, on that connection, and he said this. Moses did not have the message of the cross, at least in so many words. But he did have God's staff, and he was supposed to take the staff with him when he went to Pharaoh. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do... Uh, do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. This verse gives us two new pieces of information. One is that the signs and wonders were for the Egyptians as well as the Israelites. Earlier, God gave Moses three signs to perform for the elders of Israel to help convince them that he was God's true prophet. Here God tells Moses to perform the same marvels for Pharaoh. Not so he will let God's people go, but for exactly the opposite reason. Rather than making a believer out of Pharaoh, the signs would harden him in his unbelief. In his stubbornness, he would refuse to let God's people go. The miracles of Jesus Christ had much the same effect according to God's sovereign will. Some believed and some were saved, while others doubted and were condemned. And we know this to be true of the gospel. Like, the truth does set us free. The gospel saves. There is power in the gospel. 
but it also comes down to the receptivity of our hearts. Like, sin and the devil are nasty. They want to keep humanity in bondage, blind and lost far from God. That is absolutely very real. And we need to know this and constantly be asking God for strength because when we live our lives for Christ, when we follow him, when you share with your coworkers, when a conversation comes up at a family barbecue, it's not always going to be met with, oh, tell me more, pray the prayer, I'm in, where's your church at? That's what the gospel can do. Absolutely, there's power in the gospel. But it's not always the case. So when I brought up in the beginning about, you know, being a people pleaser, this, this, this can be really hard because sharing your testimony and talking about your faith, sharing about Jesus can be hard because it can be met in an unfavorable way. And so for a people pleaser that doesn't want to rustle any feathers, this can be a real issue. I mean, this can be like detrimental. And one of the reasons why I brought that up and why I said it was bad is that when it comes to God using us, In his redemptive story, if you're not wanting anyone to be sad at you, and you don't want any relationships to be different, and you're always wanting everyone to love you and like you and be around you, then what this will do effectively, and it can do, is keep our mouth completely closed from speaking the truth that saves souls. For the fear of a broken relationship, for the fear of man, for the fear of our own reputation, for the fear just not to rock the boat. And here's the deal. Our own reputation can keep us from sharing the most powerful, life-changing news that ever existed. When you think of it that way, it's like, oh, man. And guys, there is such a need for people to come to know Jesus. That's, that's why I'm here. That's why I do what I do. That's why I feel called. That's why I moved from California to start this church was that men and women would come to faith that did not previously know him. That, that, that I want it so bad. And so often, like in, I don't know if you think this way. I think you should. I think it's good. I think it's right. But like, for example, um, Yolani had this community night on Friday night where all the families from the whole neighborhood, every family from the school brought their kids, and there was bounce houses and food trucks and stuff. And I began to just think about, oh, man, there's a good chance a lot of these people don't know Jesus. And I'm like, my heart was so burdened because I'm like, how are all these people going to hear the good news? There's like a super small chance it's going to be from me. Like a super small chance. But it's going to be from people that have unique access to their lives that love Jesus. Because that's really what it comes down to, is that our sphere, our, our, our unique environment, you may be the only Bible that those people will ever see. The only encounter they have with Jesus may be you. Same, same is true for me. I have a unique neighbor's. I have a unique job. I have unique people like that, that I you know, go shop at the store, the Costco I go to, whatever it is. 
There's unique people in all of our lives that God is calling us to be Jesus to. And church, if there's anything I can plead with us corporately to do is don't let anything get in the way of testifying about God's goodness to those in your life. You gotta be free to people pleasing. You gotta be free to not saying it because you don't want to offend and you don't want to... Uh, they, they won't know the truth if no one tells them. Now, don't get me wrong. Hear me, hear me out. There is a difference from the gospel offending and us offending by our presentation of the gospel. There's a difference. And sometimes, you know, like, we justify it. Hey, I, I can uh, present or say or tell the truth in any time and in any manner, regardless of the other person, because it's right, because it's the gospel. I'm like, mm. Sorry, no. That's not how it works. We need to be mindful how we present the gospel. Again, the gospel offends because it's the truth that has the power to save humanity for eternity and spiritual forces are at work that hate it. The truth of the gospel offends. That doesn't mean that we need to offend someone by presenting it in a way that is offensive. And uh, unfortunately, if there's something as Christians that we need to apologize for, it's that. We've done it bad. We've done a poor job overall. Not all, all the time. All the time. But it's been bad, and it affects people. You guys know people aren't, like, dumb. They're more in tune than, than a lot of us are. Right? The ideal way to share the truth, the good news that we have, is to be authentic, real, caring. I don't know about a month ago, if you remember, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. When you're sharing your faith, it's time to cash in on those. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. You share the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit in love and in grace and in mercy and in compassion. The gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, not only for, you know, for you to treat other believers in the church well, it's primarily for those that aren't yet Christians. Those that are far off that need to be brought near. Again, I don't want to put too many you know, restrictions on how you share the gospel and who you do. I just I don't want this to discourage us, but I want us to continue to step out in obedience but in love. But also be aware that the truth may offend and know that there's setbacks. This is hard work. Like, like think of Moses. I'm Moses, and I hear from the God of the universe to go do something, and I do exactly what he told me to do, I think this is going to work. What happens? It doesn't work. And it doesn't work time after time after time. We need to know when sharing our faith, there's setbacks. There's opposition. It's hard work to share our faith. And it may not always work. It's not our job to save. It's our job to be obedient to plant and to water, but God causes the growth. And again, with Moses, you'll see that it takes about 10 plagues to get Pharaoh to bend to God's will. So then just kind of moving through our text, almost done here. I will say, if you know much of the Old Testament, it can be really weird and strange. We have one of those things right now. I don't know if you picked it up when we read it. But uh, Moses is coming away from Pharaoh, and there's this weird interaction with God in verses 24 and 25. And his wife, Zipporah, weirdly saves him. This is weird, I'll be honest. 
Uh, honestly, this is a mysterious event because what happens is, is that Moses, to this point that we know of, has obeyed God, done everything he should have done. But then all of a sudden, God wants to kill him. We don't know why. Seriously. And then uh, what happens is his wife, I don't know how this happens, just goes, she quickly circumcises her son. I know this graphic is weird. This is weird, okay? Throws the foreskin at Moses' feet, says something, and the God's like, we're good. <laughs> I mean, this is the weirdest thing. This is, I, this is weird. Here's what people think, because it's really not clear in the text. This is what people think. People think their theory is, the assumption is, is that Moses had not circumcised his son, and this is something that God had asked him to do um, before, and Moses didn't do it, and it would seem for some unrecorded reason that Moses failed to do this, and so his wife, kind of like holding accountability to him, just does it for him, is kind of bummed, kind of mad, does it, and God's like, okay, okay, fine, you did it. Probably not that. But it's something like that. There's this weird thing that happens. God somehow is mad at Moses. We don't know. But ultimately what happens is through Zipporah, through the wife, things get remedied. They obey God. And either way, it happens and the story continues on. Sorry, I don't have any much more than that. It's weird. People listening to the podcast would be like, this is a weird church. But that's okay. The Old Testament has stuff like this from time to time. You kind of just got to grow with it, big picture. We can do a deep dive like next week if you want. Let's get coffee or something. But God, what happens is, is this thing happens, but God is good with his promise to send Aaron. At the very end of our text today, the team is united. They're ready to tackle Pharaoh again as the Lord has showed. Again, Aaron is kind of the mouthpiece Moses can't speak that well. It's kind of a little deal, compromise that they come to with God. Aaron's on board now. And so what they do is that Moses and Aaron gather all the, the leaders, the elders of the Israelites. This is like a, a town hall meeting with all the, the prominent, influential um, Israelite elders. These guys were um, ones that would spiritually and socially lead the people. And they pitch this. Right, Aaron and Moses, who they don't know, these shepherds from the wilderness, come in and say, they, they say everything. The burning bush, here's the staff that turns into a snake, here's the leprous hand, hey, I can turn the Nile water into blood. They do all this. But instead of the response of the hardened heart, what's their response? Instead of the truth of God hardening their hearts, they believe. They're filled with hope and they bow down in worship. It says that they bowed down because God has heard their misery. Remember, they've been in slavery for 400 years under a brutal dictatorship. God has finally heard their cries. He's sending help. Moses and Aaron have the plan, and it's about to begin. And they say, we're on board, we're in, and they worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. With all that, I'm going to leave you with this. As a church... I want to encourage us. I actually want to pray for something that uh, Charles Spurgeon once said. Charles Spurgeon, England, the prince of preachers, he said, the Christian is to have a heart like a dove and skin like a rhinoceros. He says it's supposed to have both. And what he means by that 
is that we're to deeply know God and care for others and to share the truth, but that we would be strong in the strength of the Lord to continue to be obedient despite the reaction, despite the reaction of our family and friends and community's response to the gospel that we're still, still supposed to share we're still supposed to love God and love them, but we're supposed to also have skin like a rhinoceros to, to take the hits, to go, it's okay. I understand that the, 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 there's conflict now and it's unfavorable. My prayer is that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live obediently. Our lives would be lived obediently to make Christ known in love to others around us. And the thing is, guys, is that Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 9, he would say the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. My prayer is that the 150 of us or so in this room would be a family devoted to Christ and committed to our Father's business. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you that you are God and we are not, that you are in control, that you're sovereign. And thank you that, that, that we know that, God, you sent your son to die so that all of humanity to, could come to know you. We understand, Lord, that, that, that not all do, that there's opposition, that there's um, attack, that there's... Um, People that hate this. But God, I pray that as your church, as your disciples, I pray that we would be strengthened to continue to love and share and show you to others despite the consequences, despite the ripple effect, despite what it does to relationships. God, again, help us to do it in love. Help us to be compassionate and gracious and merciful how we communicate our faith, the truth of who you are to others. But God, we don't want to be silent. We don't just want to, for the fear of man, say nothing or disobey you. Would you make us a people that are more concerned about obeying you than about our reputation? More concerned about what you think than what others think. God, we thank you for this work, and we pray now as we enter into a time of worship, as we sing these songs and praises, God, we do it because you're worthy of them. We worship you because of who you are and what you've done. And in the book of Exodus, we get a very vivid glimpse into your character, but we also know that you're the same God of then that is now. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, you're still powerful, and you're still merciful, and you, you're the one that, that saved us. You're the one that broke us out of addictions. You're the one that gives us eternal life, and so there's much to be thankful for. And so, God, we worship you now for who you are and what you've done. We ask that you would just bless the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name.